Are you more invented or discovered? Like who you are, your identity. Are you in the process of inventing, creating yourself? Like you're a blank slate, like they said in the, in the Enlightenment, you're tabula rasa, you're born as a blank slate, and you're the author to that. You're, you're the scribe of your life. Are you more created, invented, or are you more discovered? Are you discovering who you are increasingly? Well, how about a third option? How about revealed? Revealed. From the Word of God, Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. Jesus healing the blind man. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and everything, he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell anyone about him. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Father, reveal yourself to us, and in so doing, reveal us through your word, a light on our path. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was about 20 years old, I was in a group of people, and the leader of that group thought it would be a good idea to ask everybody to describe themselves with one word that started with a letter in their first name. So I had to come up with a, a word, a T word, an adjective, T, with my name. And I was sitting there, and I was like counting down the people, you know, and they're all coming up with these clever things. And I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, I'm starting to sweat, you know. It's like, oh, man, I, like three people, two people, one more person. I have no idea. All I can think of is like the only T words I could come up with was terrific, and turtle, right? I was like, I don't like either of those options. I mean, I just totally flagged this thing. Adjectives. How would you describe yourself? How would you describe yourself? And in describing yourself, do you believe that, as I've often heard it said to young people, that you can really just write yourself, that you can describe yourself any way you want, that, that in fact... If you, you can dream it, you can do it. If, if, you, uh, if you want it badly enough, you can achieve or do anything at all. Isn't that what people are saying to young people today? 
You can be anything, do anything. When I, whenever I hear somebody say this, I sort of picture like, what if somebody said that to Mother Teresa like when she was young? And, uh, you know, she, she only grew to be about five feet tall. But what if, what if Mother Teresa took that to heart and said, you know, I, I really want to play in the NBA, right? I mean, can you imagine? Five-foot Mother Teresa dreaming to be a WNBA star. How, how do you know yourself? How do you know yourself? I think what we're going to discover as we look through this, this pairing of of passages. It's really one passage. That when we're willing to be revealed, you can know yourself and you can have a great sense of confidence and peace about it. And here's where we're going. That knowing God increasingly well reveals you. Knowing God increasingly well reveals you. First, knowing God. Don't skip over the idea that what that means is that God can be known, that we have a knowable God, that he's revealed himself, that God can be known. That, that means there is behind everything a designer, which means there is a design to be discovered, to be revealed, including you. We have a God who can be known, who reveals himself in creation and in scripture, in general revelation, in special revelation through Christ. God reveals himself. He can be known. Verse 24, it says that he, he starts to heal this blind man. He, he can't see anything. And then he can see sort of like like people like trees. Like, so it's just a description that, you know, he, he can vaguely tell that they're vertical things. And you know, probably as a blind man put his hand on trees and can see, you know, and, and can't really tell the difference between a tree and a person, right? But he can see something. So now he knows there's something that can be seen. I mean, imagine if, if, if you didn't know, if we all didn't know there was a sense of smell, that, that, that there was, that, that things had odor and fragrance. And then all of a sudden, you know, you could smell it. You, you wouldn't have known that, that, that there was such a thing as smell until it's revealed. And now here we're seeing this, this whole idea of blindness and restoring blindness, restoring sight, that there's something to see, that God can be known. You can see this pairing between uh, between the, the, the blindness and the revelation to Peter that Jesus is the Christ. In the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, this idea that, that, your, that, that the Messiah would restore sight to the blind is a spiritual metaphor. And Jesus isn't, these aren't just happenstances. I mean, there, there are all kinds of people who needed all kinds of things around Jesus. And he picked and he cho- chose and a lot of times it was, it was really to reveal what he came to do. It's a, it's a signal to the Old Testament passage that Tyler read earlier, that the Messiah would come to restore sight to the blind. And ultimately, spiritual blindness, not knowing who God is, 
not knowing that he revealed himself, that not knowing ourselves. You know, when, when, when people were made originally, they walked with God and they were naked and they were unashamed. They were revealed. They knew each other. They knew themselves. They knew one another. They walked with God and they were unashamed. They walked before God and they were unashamed. But after the fall, there's this hiding that we do. And God is hidden because his glory would destroy us. And we're hidden from ourselves because of our shame. But Jesus came to restore sight to the blind. And it's not just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a holistic thing. Well, you say, well, how, how does confessing Jesus as Christ reveal Peter to Peter? How does it reveal me to me? Well, imagine that you're, imagine that this is really the first step. Knowing God is the first step in revealing who you are. Imagine that you're out on a ship centuries ago at night and you realize that your captain has no idea where he is. He says, I, you know, you go up to the deck and you say, hey, how, how are we doing? Where are we where are we located? What, what's the progress? He says, I have no idea. I don't know where we are. And you realize, okay, you know, now just imagine yourself back before they understood that, that, that we revolved around the sun, right? That Copernicus discovered, okay, we revolve around the sun. The sun doesn't revolve around us. And that there are certain constants, right? And one of the things that you know is that there is a constant in the sky. It's called the North Star. So if you take uh, the, the, the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper, you know how to find the North Star? You take the Big Dipper, the Big Dipper kind of pours into the Little Dipper. And the outer edge of the Big Dipper, those two stars, if you follow them upward, you know, the top part of the cup, if you follow them upward, they point at the end of the handle of the Little Dipper. Did you know this? It's always the case every night. Every night you see the Little Dipper, the Big Dipper. You follow that outer edge and it points right. It's not the brightest star, right? I mean, there's a song that says that, you know, the North Star is the brightest star that shines. It's not the brightest star. It's sort of a medium range in brightness. But, but what makes the North Star Polaris so special is it's right over the North Pole. And it's always over the North Pole. So the Earth rotates and that star stays in the same place. Imagine that you could reveal that for the first time to a captain out in the middle of the ocean. All of a sudden, there is what is called a Copernican revolution. Like now I realize there is a constant. There is a design. There is, there is, I'm located now. It's not a small thing to recognize that God has revealed himself in creation, in Scripture, it locates you. It says, I'm not here with, with all this pressure to be a, a five-foot-tall NBA star. <laughs> I'm here to discover, to be revealed, that God has revealed himself, that he is a designer behind the design. And so there is a design, including me. It's the first step. Maybe it's a little fuzzy. Maybe it's sort of general. But Jesus healing the blind man shows him there's something to see here something to see. P Peter, recognizing that Jesus is the Christ, is a Copernican revolution. No longer does the sun revolve around us, but we revolve around the sun, and we revolve around the S-O-N, sun. That's the first step in understanding who we are.
Christ-centered life is someone who can be out in the middle of the darkness, but found. Found. But God can be increasingly known. Not just known, but not just generally known, not just you know, initially known, not just confessed, but known increasingly well. And when we know God increasingly well, we are revealed increasingly. That's the point. Knowing God increasingly well reveals us increasingly. It, you go on to the next verse here, verse 25. It talks about Jesus getting very physical, right? He's taking a second pass at this blind man to heal him. And he goes from just seeing unclearly to seeing clearly. What's going on here? <laughs> Last week, we looked at a passage where Jesus healed somebody without even being there. He doesn't have to touch him. But there's a very intimate portrait here. Very intimate portrait. He's taking his own saliva and getting it on his eye. He's making a point. But there is a progression to it. Did Jesus, could Jesus not have healed them all at once? Of course. Of course he could. He can heal with a word. He's the son of God. He spoke all things into being. Everything that was created in the universe was created through Christ. So he didn't even need to touch him. So what's he doing? What are we to make of this? Why is he taking this two-step approach to restoring his sight? Because it's progressive. It's progressive. He is revealing sight to this man increasingly, progressively. Here you see it paired up with this next section. And Jesus is asking the question, who, who do people say that I am? And, and they're saying, well, you know, they're, they seem to be getting sort of close. I mean, the people from Bethsaida uh, are saying that you are maybe Elijah or one of the prophets. Well, who do you say that I am? And they say, well, Peter says, well, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, that's been revealed to you. Revealed to you. Why, why does God reveal himself to some people and not to others? Now, that's a very big question, but let's answer it very simply today. It is just the fact that they're willing. We're willing. <laughs> We're not always willing. I mean, uh, Augustine one of the great voices of the church, and we're still benefiting from, from Augustine of Hippo. Lived in the 200s, 300s. And, uh, but he was a wild man. He was a rascal. And then God got a hold of his life. And, uh, and he was considering becoming a, a priest and becoming a leader in the church. He was turning from just a really, <laughs> a life of debauchery. And he, he has this famous prayer. It says, he says, Lord, Make me, me chaste and temperate, but not yet. Come on, people, that's, that's pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, it's honest. It's humorous in its honesty, right? We're not always willing to know God because if we're really honest, 
don't, just be honest with yourself. Don't you sometimes wonder if what God wants for you, you're going to want? I mean, is it going to satisfy? Is it going to be what you really want? Peter was willing. And Jesus is showing, look, we, you can know God increasingly well, and you can be revealed. Who you are can be revealed increasingly if you're willing, if you're willing. The disciples left everything. And Jesus is turning from this broader ministry to this focused ministry to the people who left everything to follow him. And yet, they were willing. They were willing. But in contrast, here is this, this region, Bethsaida. And this is a region where they're, they're Jews. Last week, we were, he was somewhere else, and we were talking about how close he was to the Greek culture. Now he's back in, into an area where it's, it's mostly Jewish. This is a, a templed community. This at the center of the community was, a, was temple life. And so this is, these are all educated. These are all people who know the scriptures, who know the Old Testament, who would know that the Messiah is going to have a certain profile. But what does he say? In Matthew 11, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, that's where we were last week, Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. What is it that the woman last week saw in Jesus? She saw magnificence. She saw power. She saw something beyond her, and she saw herself in contrast, but she was willing to be revealed, you see? And he's saying, they should know me, but they're unwilling to be known. (laughs) See, if you want to know God increasingly well, then be prepared to know yourself increasingly well. It's a mercy that God doesn't reveal us to ourselves all at once. It's a mercy that he progressively, increasingly reveals himself and reveals us as we go. It's a mercy. In your bulletin, you'll see on the outline page, you'll see the points. You'll also see at the very top a highlight that, that describes an Anglican schema about how we're to understand ourselves in Scripture. It says this. We, we view the world through lenses. One summary of how these lenses work is as follows. Truth is revealed in Scripture, made plain by tradition, animated by reason, and confirmed in personal experience. Do you see how that works? Some people call it a quadrilateral. Some people attribute that to Wesley. It wasn't Wesley originally. It was an, another Anglican. The idea is that scripture is revealed and tradition secures and reason clarifies and then experience, experience begins to reveal it more and more personally. And then when we're more clear about who we are, it can come back and we can be more clear about who God is. Here's how John Calvin puts it. Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts. He's talking about wisdom and he's saying, There are two parts to wisdom. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. 
But as these are connected to each other by many ties, it's not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. We know ourselves increasingly, as we know God increasingly, as we know God and are willing to know God increasingly, we know ourselves better. An increasing revelation. Well, obviously then, if we're, we recognize that God is knowable, that he's revealed himself, and that we're willing to know him increasingly well and to be exposed, even at the cost of pain, right? Of knowing and seeing who we really are, we are revealed. We're revealed. Now, listen to this. This is an old Western, right? The name of an old Western. We are revealed what? Good, bad, and ugly, right? <laughs> if we're willing, knowing that God has revealed himself, knowing that we, we can know him increasingly well, and as we know him increasingly well, we know ourselves increasingly well, as we know ourselves increasingly well, we're able to see him with greater clarity. He will reveal himself to us mercifully, mercifully, progress, progressively. Good, bad, and ugly. Well, you feel like signing up for that program? I mean, you know, <laughs> that doesn't sound too pleasant, right? But here's the thing. that wh What's behind being able to be revealed and not be crushed? That's the question you should be asking. How is it that God can reveal us to ourselves, good, bad, and the ugly, and us not be crushed? Well, that's the answer to this entire passage. You see, there is an identity to be had that is more profound than any other identity that you can have for yourself. Any other identity you might invent or dream about or project for the world to see. You see, in other words, what, what Jesus is revealing here, right here in the middle of Mark, he's revealing that we are unworthy but not worthless, that we are known to God, but loved. There's no greater identity than to be fully known, good, bad, and ugly, and fully loved. No greater identity. To recognize we are unworthy, but not worthless. If you don't know what I'm saying, if you don't know what I'm talking about this morning, then you don't know Christ. You don't know his love for you. You don't know yourself. To be fully known, good, bad, and ugly, and yet accepted? There's no greater identity. What happens then is that we can, we no longer have to go into a deep hole when we mess up, when we're fully known but fully loved. We no longer have to compare ourselves to other people to build ourselves up when we're fully known but fully loved. We, we no longer have to judge others and put them down when we're fully known and fully loved. We become less defensive when we're fully known and fully loved. Less, less prone to come up with all the adjectives that you want everybody else to, to think of you and project them out there to the world to see. Less, less tied into our performance and achievement for our worth. No longer a performative identity, but a relational one. Unworthy, but unworthless. 
to be able to say, gosh, to, to know myself, to know the good, the bad, and the ugly, to be revealed to myself, and yet in those very places to have the confidence that you're accepted. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. You know, there are all kinds of ways that people want to protect themselves from their vulnerability of being known. And one of the troubling ways today is identity politics. You say, Tim, you're getting political now. Watch it. You're getting political. Are you getting political? The answer to that question is, of course I'm getting political. Because politics is all about people. I'm not going to get partisan. But politics is about people. And from time to time, it's going to be important for me to name some things. I'm going to name something this morning. Identity politics. Very troubling. A weak story of humanity. One that puts me in charge of the adjectives of my life. One that puts me in control because I want to power up and I don't want anybody to have power over me because I have trauma in my life or I have some difficulty with people in my life. And so I am going to be in charge. That is a weak story. Oh, we've got so much more to offer people than that. I didn't even know my adjectives <laughs> when I was 20 years old. Not to mention my, you know, and, and now today, you know, people want to be in charge of their pronouns. So, oh, now you're getting really political. Well, look, think of it this way. Progressive politics and conservative politics are like the, the gas pedal and the brake pedal. Progressive gas pedal, conservative brake pedal. Let's tap the brakes for a minute. Today I'm going to tap the brakes on identity politics because it's time to tap the brakes. There are two ways that identity politics hurts people. Two ways. One is that you shout at them. So anybody who's, who's trying to, who has confusion about their gender, you shout at them and you say, you're threatening our culture and you're threatening me and this, you're a terrible person. That's a horrible response to somebody who's dealing with confusion. Horrible response. But there's another horrible response. And that is to shrug your shoulders and say, well, you are whatever you believe you want to be. And tell Mother Teresa, yeah, go play in the WNBA. It's fine. There's no God. There's no hope. There's no discovery. There's no, there's no design. You are what you make of yourself. What a terrible thing to do to somebody. What a terrible story to tell somebody. To let them believe something lesser than themselves and to power up and think that they have to make themselves invulnerable. We're all vulnerable. We're all going to die. You just found that out on Wednesday. Maybe, maybe that was the first time somebody told you and they put the cross on your head. You're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. What are you gonna do about it? Good and bad and ugly. There's a greater story to be told. Greater story. So I don't want us as a church to, to come down on people who are, who are dealing with, with confusion over their gender. But on the other hand, we, we shouldn't just simply affirm this lesser story that, that's, that's hurting people because here's the problem. Here's the real problem is, is not the people who are actually suffering and, and struggling. You don't want to add weight to their cross as, as Rosaria uh, Butterfield says. Don't add a single ounce of weight to the cross of somebody who's struggling with their identity in this way. You don't want to add any weight. But on the other hand, 
We don't want to just ignore this issue and just sort of pretend it away and, and just, just sort of politely pass the teacups around the whole thing. Because it's drawing in other people who are just confused in general. They don't know their adjectives, right? I mean, what 20-year-old knows himself? And, and who feels good about the good and the bad and the ugly about themselves? And so here's a story that the culture is offering to people that is a lesser story than we have to offer. And so we move towards people with hope, not with judgment, not with condemnation, not with, not with labeling, not with defensiveness. We move towards people with the greatest story ever told, that they are fully loved, even though they're fully known, good, bad, and ugly. What a great story. And so as a result, we as a church, those who know that God can be known, know him increasingly well, and as a result, are revealed to ourselves, good, bad, and ugly. We, we have the ability to move towards people with a cup that runs over with generosity. Generous, if somebody says they want you, be, you to call them a certain way. I'm gonna be generous towards you if you want me to call you a certain thing. But I'm also gonna be generous enough to say, Here's what I believe. Here's what I believe about you. That good, bad, and ugly, you're known and loved. You know, this whole thing about being out in the ocean and at night, having North Star, and knowing that you're located, that you're found, you're never lost. <laughs> Makes me think of this old expression. Whoever makes himself slave to the compass can have the freedom of the sea. That means when you're willing to yield your identity, your very identity to God, when you look for it there, you have the freedom to be revealed, good, bad, and ugly. Because whoever, whoever confesses Jesus as Christ is found. And tying yourself to that compass will give you the freedom of the sea. Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you for this central place in the book of Mark. A young man who knew Peter, who walked with Peter, who's telling Peter's story, who's tying together your, your actions to people who are hurting and your words to the disciples. Thank you for John Mark's testimony. Thank you that, that even though he was, <laughs> even though he ran home on Paul's first missionary journey back to Jerusalem, it gave him the ability to know Peter. And as a result, we can see a window, not only into Peter's life, but into our own. And so Lord, reveal us, even as you reveal yourself. Through Christ we pray it, amen.